You're listening to audio from Harvest Bible Chapel, Philadelphia, where we believe in preaching the authoritative power of God's Word each and every week. For more content and information about our church, visit harvestphiladelphia.org. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, and the message is only going to verse 11. I got a little carried away when I told you that it's verses 1 to 12. It's only going to go to verses 1 to 11. And in your Bibles, in the little words above certain sections, in yours it probably says the calling of the first disciples. So I'm reading from Luke 5, starting at verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he, and he sat down, Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners to the other, to the other boat to come and help them. And when they came and filled both boats, they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were the partners with, with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land... They left everything and followed him. So this morning, I just want to center my thoughts around three things. That the call of these early disciples, I sort of see three separate calls here. Number one is the call to faith, that we're to believe. And it sounds very simple, and we'll unpack that a little bit. But there's also a call to humility that's here. And then thirdly, there's a call to follow him and to be fishers of men. But before I make further comments about the scripture, I want to tell you about a young man who followed the call. And his name was Andy Bell. And Andy got so full of Christ in college that he decided that one way he wanted to obey the call was to put his name in the dormitory raffle and hopefully get paired up with a non-Christian to live with. Okay, So he did this, and sure enough, he landed with a roommate who was unsaved. But on that floor that he lived in at the University of Delaware was another young man, the one standing before you. And this Andy Bell reached out to everyone on our floor, and we were living like 50 young men would live as freshmen in college. And I was one of them. And Andy's prayer, when he put his name into the raffle, was, Lord, maybe there's one person who you'll save through my witness. He'd only been a Christian a year or two. He probably didn't know a lot of theology, but he had this sense that he wanted to be used by God. And he started to witness to all of us. And he would give us little things. He had a little uh, memo board in our hallway, and I think it probably got torn down at times. But he put little gospel things up there. And somehow he sort of navigated, he started to pay attention to me. 
invited me to come to dinners with him. He brought other Christians around me. He gave me a little book called Power for Living. Remember in the 80s, some of you may remember, there was a whole campaign, Power for Living. It was a testimony of Julius Irving in there. And I love the Sixers. I grew up in South Jersey. And so I, I was reading through this thing. And you know, he then took me to church. I don't even know why I went because I wasn't seeking God. I was there to, to be an engineer, to make as most money, the much, most money I could and have as much fun as I could. I really wasn't seeking God. I remember on the application it said any religious affiliation, and I checked off the box, United Methodist. But that meant almost nothing to me. See, I grew up in a small United Methodist church where I heard the gospel. In fact, it was a fire and brimstone message almost every week. And I didn't know much about God. In fact, the only thing I knew about the Bible is when you put it in the center and you unfold it to the middle, you go to the palms. <laughs> That's all I knew about the Bible. But I had been brought to Sunday school and I had this sense that, you know what? I think the preacher's right. I think this Christian thing is good and right. But for me, it's going to be later in life. So I didn't really reject it outright. I just wanted it to be later in life, sort of like, I'm going to have my life first, and then I'll get serious about God. Anybody else ever think that? A lot of people think that. That's like Satan's strategy to, to, uh, for people. God had a different plan for me. So I started reading my Bible. I can remember coming back from parties and opening up my little New Testament and reading through it, and it was almost like Jesus was jumping off the page to me, and I don't know why. Because I wasn't seeking him. But now I found out, and I read the Bible, he was seeking me, of all people. Like, why? I don't know why he was seeking me. I wasn't having crisis in my life. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to figure out, like, why, do we, why are we here? Why do we exist? I wasn't asking the big questions of life. I was just a college guy, just doing my... But God said, no, uh, I'm, you're going to be mine. And he intersected my life. And I came back to my winter term in 1984, and my friend had given me a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. And he went through it with me, and I opened up that thing to the back, and there's a prayer, there's a sinner's prayer, something like, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I invite you into my life to be the Lord of my life, and I'm gonna live for you forever. And I prayed that thing one time, and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna pray that every day, because if one time is good, like seven times is better right? I know Matt doesn't teach that kind of theology here. It's like one time is good enough, but I didn't know much about it. I just was like, I pasted that thing on my desk, and I prayed it every day, and I got really saved, got really saved, and, and I also had this notion that I, before I was saved, I've got to clean my life up, and I remember I actually cleaned my room up and took posters down off the wall that were unglorifying to God, and I just started, to, I said, I know a lot of this has to go, and all I remember praying was that there was like this light that was coming into my life. And it was the light of the gospel. And it changed me, radically changed me. And in two months, we were with our campus group, and I was on the beaches of Daytona Beach trying to witness to other college students. That's what we did in those days. They were there to party, and we were there to connect with them. And it was a, it was a big transformation in my life. And in some ways, if you know that about me, you know the most important thing about me. The second one is I married this beautiful person here, okay? So now you know the most, of, and you know my four boys, so you really have the whole picture of me right now. That's, my, that's really my life. I've really never recovered from 1984. I've never recovered from it. 
My whole life has sort of been centered around that. So in this message, this is a message about fishing for men. And Andy Bell decided he was going to fish for men. And I'm standing here some 36 years later talking to you about this. See, this passage is, is in the, the Sea of Galilee. In your Bibles, it's the, the Lake of Gennesaret. It's the same location. Gennesaret was that location. You might remember from your Bible geography, the Sea of Galilee was sort of like an oval. And in the northwest corner was this place called Gennesaret. It was sort of a flatter region because most of the places around Galilee are rocky. And, and this is more of a flatter region. So we find Jesus teaching The crowd is pressing in on him, so he gets in the boat, and he goes out, and this natural amphitheater is formed on the shore at the Sea of Galilee, and he's teaching. And when he's done teaching, he has a lesson for Peter. My first point is this, that the call that Jesus gives us is the call to faith. It's the call to faith. Peter uh, he tells Peter to, to let the nets down, and Peter is sort of indignant, and he says in verse 5, but master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. This was their trade. This was their, the way they made their living, and all night long, nothing. And here this person, he calls him master. It was the very beginning of his ministry. He probably knew something of what Jesus was doing in this area where Jesus started his ministry, but he certainly didn't know of if all the power and the deity And Jesus says, let's put out into the deep. Now, scholars tell us that the sea wasn't that deep. It was probably somewhere between 80 and 160 feet deep. And they probably only went out to, let's say, 100 feet. They put these nets down. But here's the thing. One of the other things that I learned is that these nets were used for nighttime fishing, not daytime fishing. So Peter's thinking, this is never going to work. But it did. And we see in verse 6, and when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and it would began to break. See, one of the things that Jesus was telling Peter was, following me is going to be a walk of faith. It's a very simple thing. But in, in many ways, that's, that's the summation of what we have here. It's a walk of faith. By faith, you're carving out a church out of nothing. You're doing it by faith. You're working hard. You're working really hard here, and God is blessing you. And they worked really hard that night, but nothing happened. No fish. And Jesus said, at your word, and then Peter says, but, but at your word, verse 5, but taking God at his word. So faith is, simple. Faith is complicated in some ways, but let me say uh, a definition that we heard way back in college was this, and I can leave you with this. Faith is simply taking God at his word. It, it can be simplified as that. I, 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 I read the word, or in this case, I'm told the word, and I believe it. I grasp it by faith. And we never really graduate from that, do we? We can be 40, 50 years in the Lord, but we're still growing in that simple comprehension and belief that we live by faith. He calls us to be fishers of men and to fish by faith. Listen. Reaching people for Jesus Christ is not a man-made endeavor, is it? There is no way someone can come to Christ by man's effort. It has to be a supernatural activity. I mean, you think about what has to happen. For one thing, a person has to 
to, to, to believe some, someone and some person who lived 2,000 years ago, right? But we don't see any of that. We only read it in the scriptures, right? And then you have this whole thing where Satan is blinding the minds of the unbelievers, right? So Satan is working against all of people coming to Christ. Coming to Christ is a supernatural activity. And so the first call is to walk by faith. And you know where that leads you? And it's something that I can see you already do here. It leads you to prayer. Because how can we engage in something that we can't do apart from prayer? And we joined your 920 prayer group this morning, and I heard prayers of the very thing that I'm trying to speak to this morning, that this whole thing is by faith through prayer. The Holy Spirit works in our life, and we're regenerated by prayer. And Andy Bell, who came, who brought Christ to me, responded in prayer. That's really my first point. There's a call to prayer. The second one here is a call to humility. A call to humility. This may not be the exact right word, but look at Peter's response when he sees what Jesus did and what was happening to his boat. Look at verse 8. It says, but when Peter, Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. This isn't the response that you might think would be. It's sort of counterintuitive. If, if you and I were to see a miracle of Jesus, maybe we would say, well, we would be drawn to him. We would want to be with him. But there's something in this, in this exchange with Peter where he wanted just the opposite. It's almost as if Peter has this huge aha moment that the man who's teaching and that's in his boat is someone that he has no comprehension of, that it's, it's God Almighty. Now, he probably didn't understand the Trinity and the deity of Christ at this point, but what he did have an understanding was, uh, we are having a God sighting. We're having a God moment here. There's other places in Scripture, maybe you're thinking of them, when we have people in the Bible who have God moments and a similar response. You think of, think of Moses in the burning bush. Do you remember there what God said to him when, he, when uh, he spoke to him and said, take your sandals off, you're on holy ground. This is what uh, it says, at this Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Remember what happened in Revelation 1 when the apostle John, John saw the sort of the glorified Jesus in, in all of his glory. And it says there, when I saw him, I felt his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said the same thing he said to Peter, do not be afraid. One Bible teacher thinks this is the most often uh, quoted command of the Bible. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid with, if you have a humble sense of who you are before God, his word to you, his word to me, his word to Peter is, do not be afraid. When we have a real comprehension of who God is and how holy he is, there is this sense that 
We're so different than God. In fact, that's the definition, one of the definitions of holiness, that he's, he's in a whole different category than we are as creatures. Theologians call it the creator and creature distinction. There's like a fundamental distinction between man and God. And Peter was, had a window into that. And he said, depart from me. I, I'm sinful. I, I, I can't be in your presence. He had a, a profound sense of humility. What do I mean by humility? We don't have time to develop all that. I'm simply saying it's what Paul said about Jesus when he said he made himself nothing. There's this real sense that following Christ is to think, that, think of yourself as nothing. To not think uh, highly of yourself. It's actually to think lowly of yourself. Is to be selfless. Is to be humble. There's a call to humility that we have to deal with as, as Christians. But for those who will come, he says, do not be afraid. And you know what's true about us? Is we have a lot to be humble about. Because Paul said to the Corinthians, you know, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were strong. In fact, what God chose, he chose the weak to confound the wise. I think that's probably NASB. I memorized that when I was younger, okay? He chose the lowly things, the things that were not. And that doesn't give us a great sense of self-image. I'm not sure if our modern psychologists would love to hear that. You know, we're supposed to kind of build each other up. and build. He says, no, we got a great deal. See, we brought our sin to God, and he gave us his righteousness and salvation, but it wasn't anything that we earned. How do I connect to this? The, the call to humility is, is not just the very beginning of your Christian life. It just keeps going on and on and on. What I try and do is to remember this creator-creature distinction and remember what Paul said in Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.15. He says, remember what he said? I'm the chief of sinners. Again, not what you would think the apostle Paul. If the apostle Paul <clears throat> is a chief of sinners, what chance do you and I have before a holy God? But you know what Paul was saying? That as I Think of myself in a lowly, humble way. God blesses me. God is always attracted to the, to the humble. Remember what it says in James? That he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So as I continue to live in humility, and what I do personally is I start my day asking the Lord, is there in any way that I've offended you or someone else in the way that I've thought, the way that I've spoken, or things that I've done. And he often brings things to mind. And for me, <clears throat> that gives me strength in growing in his grace in my life. Because just like I received his initial grace by faith for salvation from my sin, I daily receive that for his ongoing forgiveness in my life. Now, I have a quote. I don't know if it's in your notes, but it's something that is, is um, 
motivating for me. And listen to this. If the gospel is renewing me internally, it will be propelling me externally. So as the gospel, it's the by grace through faith living is operating in my heart daily, I'm propelled outwardly. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, the gospel's renewing me. I stay humble about what God is doing in my life. So this is the second call. It's the call to remain humble before God. And Peter and the apostles needed to have this sense to follow him. Now, there's a third thing here. And it's the obvious thing. It's the call to fish and the call to follow, isn't it? Look what it says. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And in the parallel passages in Matthew and Mark, we, get, we have the phrase, and you'll be fishers of men. You'll be fishers of men. That's your fundamental identity. And he said, Peter said, that's who I am and I will follow. And so did James and John. Peter's call, it was sort of a destiny that Jesus had said to him, from now on, you'll be fishers of men. You'll be catching men. You've been catching fish. Now you're going to catch men. You're going to put all of your life. In fact, he didn't know at this point, but he would give his life to catch men. That was his destiny. That was his calling. And we see in verse 11 what they responded with. Obedience. They left everything and followed him. Everything to follow him. There's two things that I want to say about catching men. There's a, there's, a, there's a hundred things to say about it. There's two things. There's glory in it and there's pain in it. The glory. Think about Luke 15. Later on in the same book, we read about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then a lost son. And in each little story, we read about the rejoicing and the glory that God gets when the lost thing is found. Maybe my, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, the, the, uh, the, the prodigal son message. It's a wonderful story where the central theme is God's mission on earth It's really to catch men. And there the metaphor is lost and found, okay? This, in our story here, it's about catching fish. You see, there's glory in a person coming to Christ. And if you tell your own story like we're telling our story, there's a lot of glory in it. There's a lot of joy in it when I'm reminded all over again of what God has done in my life. And as you, as a church, as you see people cross that line of faith, there's just something powerful about it, isn't there? There's something, there's like glory. God is getting glory and we're glorifying and it's great joy. The church is really strengthened by it with conversions and with baptisms because we're doing the very thing that we're called to do on earth. That's like the, the central thing is to be sharing our faith and catching men. But you know, there's also some pain involved with it, isn't there? There's pain. Why is that? Remember what Jesus said when he came to Paul there in Acts 9? 
he said to him, you're going to be my instrument to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. And I'm going to show you the suffering that you will have to undergo in my name. Paul knew it. There was going to be great suffering. And, And did he suffer? But did he also have glory in his life and never allowed those sufferings to to dissuade him from doing the central thing that God had called him to do? But you know, there's also pain in sharing this gospel, even today. And a little manual, which I would highly recommend that you read, that I reread this, Lori just read it. It's called Honest Evangelism by Rico Tice. It's a small little manual. It's put up by the Good Book Company. It's a solid publisher, a wonderful little title. And in that book, Rico talks about the pain of sharing the God. And there's, there's great rejoicing and grief. He says this, when we're, when we're involved with, the, with catching men, with sharing the gospel, sometimes we're met with hostility. That we actually have to take a risk and what he calls cross the pain line. In other words, we're building a relationship with someone, we're loving on them, but at some point, we take a step into and across this pain line and say, so are you interested in God? Are you interested in the gospel? Would you like to read the Bible with me? And we don't know what's coming on that other side. It could be hostility. It could be uh, ostracizing. It could be all kinds of things. Now, in this culture, the worst it's going to be is social and verbal. In other cultures, we know around the world, it's much worse than that. People are losing their lives. They're maybe losing their freedom, losing their employment. So there's great glory, but there's also pain in sharing the gospel. When Lori and I graduated from college, we both started raising our support and went to serve with Campus Crusade for Christ, now crew, at James Madison University. And so... Our job, we had one job to do. That was interact with students and do the very thing I'm sharing with you this morning. Try to catch students in the net of the gospel. And we tried and we did and we built lots of friendships and we saw some people come to Christ. And I just want to share with you three things that I think I took from that experience. And that is number one, when we're catching fish, when we're sharing the gospel, The phrase that we were told to think through is, we take the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit, but we leave the results to God, okay? We take the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're all prayed up, we have the Holy Spirit, we take the initiative, but we have to leave the results to God, okay? We we can't do that supernatural work of bringing someone to Christ. All we can do is share with them what he's done for our lives and what we understand the gospel to be. That's our job. In a sense, we set the, situ- the, 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 the person up for God to come in and do the miracle. But he has to come in and do it, number one. That really is freeing, isn't it? When, when, I, when we realize, I don't do the saving. I do the sharing of the gospel. And I take that, I, and I'm willing to cross that line of, of pain, okay? Hoping for glory on the, on the, on the other side. Here's the second thing I learned. To be winsome. You know, if you walk out and tell your neighbor, hi, my name is Andy, I'm an evangelist, okay? What's going to come to their mind about that, okay? They're not going to have 
wonderful thoughts of you because they may think back, oh my, tele-evangelists, or okay, are you holding a tent meeting, or what are you guys, are, do you need some money, or all kinds of things that are in their minds in our culture, well, if you say the word evangelism, okay, we have to be winsome. So how do we do this? We love them. We do everything we can to serve them. You know, it dawned on me a while back that I wish we could just say, hey, let's meet at 6 o'clock here in front of the middle school, and we're going to go out in teams, and we're going to go do evangelism. We're going to go catch some fish tonight, okay? I don't think we can do that anymore, sort of in a post-Christian society. Like, where are we going to go? Well, I don't know where you would, you know, we don't have that kind of society to do that anymore. We have to winsomely build relationships with all those people that are around us in our natural network. And Enrico, in the, in the book I mentioned, he, he gives us some specifics about how to go about that. Here's the third thing I learned. It's to focus on Jesus in, in as we're catching fish. Because as you start to talk about your faith, People want to talk about all kinds of things. Oh, you believe in creation, not evolution. What about the gender confusion that we have? And what's your position on that? All kinds of things, okay? In, In catching fish, our job is to keep bringing people back to the central person of Jesus. What he did, what he did for us, and what he can do for them. And to believe that God can still do the miracle for them like he did for us. So those are some of the things that, that, that I've learned in sharing my faith and being involved with this. But I've got to tell you that I'm not the evangelist that I should be. I'm not standing here with you know, dozens and dozens of stories of people who have come to Christ But one of the things, and this is the reason why I shared this passage with you and why it's so meaningful with me, you know, I want to be a fisher of men the next season. I want to be more so, more laser-focused on reaching people because he's done so much for me. And if he did it for me, I know he can do it for others. And I want to answer that call to really say, at the end, you know, I I I worked hard at fishing for people. I was, I was really diligent. I don't know right now if I could say that with the kind of confidence that I want. And I have this sense that, you know, and I want to be with people. I want to be with a church that that's, that's their focus. And, and church, there's so many ways we can get confused about what our purpose is. It seems like here at Harvest, that's your central focus. And it's refreshing to hear. And Laura and I both have had this sense of, boy, this is an impressive group that has really stayed the course, focused on the right things. I'm going to leave you with this. I know I'm almost out of time. I met Dean about two months ago. And he texted me. And I, Dean has sort of come, and, come to our church now and then. And he texted me and said, Pastor Andy, will you help me with something? It was a Sunday afternoon, and, and so I called him back, and he said to me, will you help me fill out the church's benevolence application? Dean needed $2,500. But at our church, where I serve, we have you fill out a benevolence application. I don't know how you do it here. You probably have some kind of deacon fund or benevolence fund, my guess is, and you help needy people. 
but Dean needed help filling the application out. And I said, well, how, do, how about if we meet at McDonald's at 12 o'clock noon tomorrow? Okay. So I meet Dean at McDonald's at 12 noon. And Dean starts to unfold his story to me. He's come off a year of daily meth use. And he looks like someone who was using meth for a year straight. Okay? And so he had the application and he said, can you help me fill this out because I want to get my life together and God's doing something in me and I need some help. So we started to work down it. And we asked, uh, the question is, so what are your assets? And he said, well, Andy, I don't have any assets. In fact, I haven't even opened my bills in a year. I said, okay. The next, next line down is, well, what are your liabilities? It's like, I don't know. I probably owe all kinds of money. I know I owe my wife, who I don't see anymore, daily or, we, or monthly spousal support that he's in arrears for, and he just lost his license, so he needs $2,500 to get his license back because he's a truck driver. So that's why he needs the $2,500. And it says down here, any family resources? You know, people that can help you? Well... Let's see, I have a daughter in North Carolina, but I don't know what she has, and I think I have this plan or $1,000 is somewhere. So we worked through the application. Basically, he didn't even know where he, what his financial position was. All he knew was he wanted $2,500, and he wanted to get his life cleaned up. Dean's been sober, sober for three months, Okay. There, he's, he's on a long journey, but he's been caught in this net of Jesus Christ, and he's, he's come in, and he said, I want to get clean. See, I didn't, I didn't really know how meth worked, but I guess truck drivers use meth to stay awake. And he actually said he's been using it while driving. But he's also got a second problem. He's a sex addiction on top of his drug addiction. So he needs help coming out from all this lifestyle, and you know what he said to me? And what just, it drives me when I think about it. He said, Andy, I want what you have. I want what you have. And sometimes I forget that. People are dying on the inside for the life of Jesus Christ that lives in us. And that's the essence of it. That they, we have something. Sometimes we forget that. When I think about Dean, and about a month ago, he was in worship right next to me, and he's got a beautiful singing voice. So all the drugs and everything else didn't interfere with his ability to praise God. And I thought to myself, that's it right there. That's why I do what I do. And I only had a small part in it. And he's, he's not out of the woods, but he's coming clean, and he's been caught by Christ, and, and I've been a part of that, and I'm so grateful that I can. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you for our, this morning and for these dear people who I know they already believe what I've just shared, that they, they've taken this role, this call to live for you and to be fishers of men very seriously. God, I pray you would bless them in all their efforts. And even, even today, maybe, Lord, that you would show us someone, maybe this week at work, Maybe, who knows, God, 
We know that you, you're about finding men, finding the, the things that were lost. Use us. Use me. Start with me, God. We thank you for saving us, giving us a call and a mission to catch people for Jesus Christ. And it's in your name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Harvest Bible Chapel, Philadelphia. For more audio, content, and information about our church, visit harvestphiladelphia.org.